0: Welcome to The Healthy Advisor, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. I'm Diana Britton, Managing Editor of wealthmanagement.com, and in this podcast, we explore some of the struggles and personal development issues facing advisors and financial services professionals and how to get to a place of healing for mind, body, and spirit. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Healthy Advisor podcast, and thanks for joining us. As you may know, this is the podcast focused on financial advisor health and well-being, and today's guest uh, definitely counts on that score. His name is Paul Peeler. He's a financial advisor with Integrated Financial Group in Atlanta. Paul, thank you for being on the podcast, and welcome.
1: Happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so within his practice, Paul provides specialized planning support for serious mental illness caregivers and their families. He's going to discuss it today, uh, but Paul also has his own personal story of caring for a family member with a serious mental illness. And, you know, that prompted him last year to launch the Preparedness Project, where he's set a goal of helping 500 families dealing with a serious mental illness, in, in getting financial planning and guidance, and we'll go into that in a minute. But um, Paul, I wanted you to first you know, tell us about uh, what happened in your personal life in 2015.
1: Sure. <clears throat> so in October of 2015, my wife and I had just become empty nesters. Uh, our second child had just recently moved away to college, and we were uh, just beginning that place in our lives that you know, is always painted as very idyllic and peaceful and 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 things of that nature. And without going into tremendous detail, a close family member uh, suddenly spiraled into a severe mental health crisis. And uh, the reason I'm not going into tremendous detail is because of that story is that individual's story to tell and not mine. And I really want to honor that for them. But
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: this started a really a years long journey towards stabilization. Um, any of your listeners that are familiar with such crises and and moments like this are well aware of the roller coaster ride of medications and doctors and trying different cocktails and therapies and uh, the process of hope and then hope deferred and and uh, the the abject fear that you're going through the whole idea of what their future looks like and and really the grief process of of uh, how the the future that you once imagined for this individual really being gone. Uh, So that, that what happened in uh, 2015 and uh, still a years long process, but we're, we're on this side of it for sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, tell us about during that time, you know, when you sort of went into the crisis mode, how did that affect you personally, financially, emotionally? What were you going through during that time? (laughs)
1: <laughs> so, uh, so how long is this podcast? <laughs> um, so let's, let, let's take this one by one and, and let's start with, uh, the emotional part first. And, uh, uh really there's, uh, I get questions, asked this question sometimes and, and really emotionally, uh, for me, it was crippling. It, it was, uh, it was, uh, abject terror, uh, abject fear, anger, grief. Um, the the emotions that I felt for at least a couple of years were were incredibly oppressive, and uh, I, I had nightmares for over a year. and And actually, it was the same nightmare over and over and over, at least uh, once or twice a month. And there were some days that I felt I, I just couldn't breathe. There was just so much weighing down on me at the time. And and again, anyone who's been in this situation can can relate to that. Um, financially, you know, while all the emotional stuff's going on uh, financially, you're, you're starting to write some big checks. What we call the mental health system in our country is anything but, Um, but, but navigating that healthcare within the walls of your, you know, in network provider list, you know, at best, at best, it's, it's a laughable proposition, but but we tried and, and worked hard to do that. And, I also realized that I needed to start figuring out how to write some big checks well into the future. You know, I'm a financial planner and uh, I understood pretty quickly that the calculus for my own uh, retirement planning had changed really in a heartbeat. And, um, Mm. uh, and so I started having to think about, um, not just being able to continue potentially high maintenance costs through my lifetime uh, and into my retirement, but also how do I prepare financially for potentially large maintenance costs after I'm gone? And so here I am in my early 50s. I've, I've planned on one uh, <laughs> life plan in terms of financial plan. And then all of a sudden, that changes, and the the expense factor goes up dramatically. So it required some uh, some pretty significant refiguring and recalculating and uh, changing some things, in, in that nature. And then finally, on the on the personal uh, side, you know, a couple of things. First of all, I'm I'm not a uh, I'm not a real svelte guy to start with, but I I uh, eat uh, in response to stress, so my mm. my weight ballooned and my my health suffered. Uh, but probably more importantly than that both both my wife and I were processing uh, this situation and this crisis situation much differently and separately um and I was uh, thinking through it in one way and she was thinking through it in another thank goodness we were both on the same page uh, but we were processing it it differently and and frankly that took a toll on our relationship um we had to to work through some things um I got some therapy which which helped tremendously um, and we both got help individually and we're in a good place now, but to say, uh, that it didn't impact us, uh, really wouldn't be truthful. It, it was uh fraying at the seams for a little bit there, but we're in a good place now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know that you, you know, you mentioned to me that, you know, you were envisioning this future for, um, you know, this family member and that future was just completely gone, right. Or, or completely right. altered yes um i mean that's i mean talk a little bit about that that's really hard to grapple with
1: yeah yeah and it probably wasn't until about 18 months in that the 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 realization of what i was feeling it was it was uh, it was anger it was it was fear Uh, it was uh, a lot of different things, but what I settled on is that what I was feeling was grief and Mm -hmm. I I wasn't grieving a person that, that was gone. They're still here. Wonderful, rich life, you know, great, great situation. But the, the future that you envision with this person is no longer there and no, and no longer possible, frankly. And so, um, so yeah, it, it was, it was a, a grieving process. And, and that was when I came to that realization, it, it, it startled me a little bit and I was able to go in and do some, you know, reading literature about, about grief and grief processing. And that helped me some, but yeah, it was very similar to any other grief process still, still is a, in some ways.
0: Yeah. Talk, Top- Talk to me a little bit about how you came out of that difficult, you know, the really crisis period and and how, how did therapy help you and other things. I know you mentioned, um, I think that there was some kind of a support group for families in this situation that uh, helped you get through it as well.
1: Sure, sure. So um, initially, um, my my wife and I, uh, well, we, we realized we were incredibly ill-equipped. To, to handle the situation. So we engaged in an organization called NAMI, uh, National Alliance for Mental Illness. They have local chapters, we were in a metro area and the chapter that was close to us offered and continues to offer a, a class free of charge called Family to Family. And uh, this, this particular class, it really didn't you know give any answers. What it did, it provided uh, really a map of the landscape. Um, So we, we had a much better idea of what we were dealing with. So, so the information was incredibly helpful, but also, uh, frankly, Diana, it was the, the idea that we could talk to people in a similar situation that Mm -hmm. they would, um, we could look in their eyes and, 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 and we got that they understood what we were talking about. And, and that was, you know, for me and my, my temperament, my personality type, that was, that was very, very helpful, you know, and in terms of, you know, coming out of that, you know, I think we as humans have a, have a tremendous ability to adapt to any new normal, you know, resilience is, is part of our makeup. Um, And so I think over time, you know, I've adapted to that, but at the same time, uh, there were some tools that you know therapy gave me to i believe speed you know that process along
0: yeah what what were some of those tools
1: um well there again how long is this podcast <laughs> 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 because, because there were a lot um i you know i i think before this i i kind of i don't want to say poo pooed the idea of therapy but uh, I always said it wasn't for me until my wife said, no, no, you, this is something you really, really need to do for us. And uh, I took that to heart and engaged a, a therapist here in the Atlanta area. And uh, uh, you know, he and I uh, probably we fought, well, I fought, he just listened <laughs> in, our, in right. our first meeting and uh, he, he put up with what I said and, uh, and uh, reined me back in and, and got me going in a, a good direction. We got some work done, but you know, in terms of tools, he really, you know, helped with. It, it was just traditional, you know, CBT, uh, but but put in a in some ways that that I found useful. You know, the first way is this whole notion that you know facts do not change, right? Mm. But but I can choose the perspective or the lens through which I choose to view those facts. And I mm-hmm. can choose the story that is being told by those facts. And uh, because narratives are nothing but constructs anyway. And uh, so I found it very helpful to be able to, you know, understand how I was viewing the situation was of my own making. And with a little work, I could choose to, to view things differently and through a different perspective and, and, and that was incredibly helpful. Uh, another thing that was helpful, uh, that people have been doing for thousands of years, but, uh, but, uh, what I was able to do with it is something that I called emotion deconstruction. Uh, my, you know, Dr. Cold called it a thought monitor, but frankly, I, I like my name better, but, uh, it was just simply a way for me with a piece of paper to sit down systematic examine any of the emotional crippling, well, any of the crippling emotions I was feeling at the time, where they were coming from, whether or not they were rational, whether or not they were distorted, and really was there a better way to to look at this situation. And uh, that was a tool that I found incredibly, incredibly helpful. And uh, actually, I, I still use that tool to this day. I probably use it a couple of times a month. And, uh, so, and I trace that back to the, to the therapy work I did back then.
0: Yeah, that's great. I know, um, you know, something that you all also mentioned to me was that concept of amor fati, um, you know, love your life and, um, you know, love all aspects of it, embrace all parts of it, the good, the bad and, and the ugly. I mean, these are hard, you know, hard things to do, but, um, you know, that's, that's really helpful. So I know, you know, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how this personal experience affected you professionally. I mean, and uh, you know, how were you able to keep your practice going? Um, you know, when when you were dealing with this crisis and you're still sort of dealing with it.
1: Yeah. You know, in terms of, you know, in the moment, I, I, I don't know how, how I made it through because so many of those days were kind of run together as as kind of fuzzy blurs. Um, I, I can tell you that, you know, there were some days, and again, your listeners can probably relate to this. There were some days that I would come into the office and, uh, I would leave six, eight hours later. And I realized I hadn't done anything. It just, it just sat in my chair and looked at my desk for hours. And, mm-hmm. uh, luckily, uh, during, and, and I guess there was a little bit of depression in there. <laughs> I never yeah, got, sure. I, I never got diagnosed with that, but, uh, it sounds a lot like it. Um, but luckily, uh, in advance of that, uh, me and my staff had built great systems put in place. And uh, frankly, I've got a great, great staff in place that was able to do everything that needed to be done. Uh, Jennifer, Kim, Bryce, if you're out there listening, uh, you know what you did. And uh, they kept that business running for two or three years and and actually probably, probably longer. And uh, I would really be remiss if... Um, if I uh, left out uh, mentioning Don Patrick, Uh, Don is the longtime leader of Integrative Financial Group and uh, was a great sounding board for years. And uh, I would go in his office, shut the door on tough days. And, you know, he would just listen. He didn't have any answers. He didn't have anything he can do. He didn't have any experience in this. Yeah. Um, But, uh, but as a leader, he listened and uh, commiserated and, uh, and sat, sat by me uh, while I was going through a hard time. So I greatly appreciate all those people.
0: Mm. Yeah. And, you know, as you know, it's, uh, you know, caring for a family member with mental illness is an ongoing struggle. Uh, I mean, I've got a family member who has schizophrenia, uh, you know, one of the big SMIs, but, you know, it's constantly... You know, getting off the drugs and back on the drugs and, you know, getting in trouble with the law and, and, and these types of things. It's, it's not um, a one and done. You go to treatment and you're not dealing with it anymore. Uh, How do you cope with that? Just sort of that ongoing struggle.
1: (laughs) Right. So I was having a uh, conversation with someone as part of the preparedness project uh, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we had, gone through their situation and they, you know, asked me, you know, does it get better? And, you know, and as a person on this side, number one, I'm not a mental health practitioner, so I'm not in any role to give advice or any therapeutic advice or anything like that. So, and also I couldn't tell them that things would get better or get worse with their particular loved one. Um, because you just don't know, but what I could tell them was this, And I got a funny look, but what I told him was that I got happier the day I gave up hope. Mm. Now that's counterintuitive in some ways that's downright un-American. So, uh, (laughs) so, so, so let's unpack that. Okay. And talk about what I mean by that. Yeah. So for years, I was on a roller coaster. Okay. And, and you had mentioned with, with your family member, uh, the roller coaster that, that you were talking about in terms of uh, law enforcement and drugs and some work and some don't and things like that, and um, you know, and the mind latches on to whatever it can to, to give it hope, you know, for, for the future. So whenever a particular medication or a job or a therapy, a doctor's appointment would go well, what I would do is I would extrapolate that result far into the future. And I would say, you know, things, things are going well now, right? We're in good shape. We're on a good path now. And when the inevitable setback or episode were occur, I was crushed. I think in the beginning of this podcast, I talked about the roller coaster of hope that hope deferred. That's what I was referring to. Mm-hmm. So over time, I, I learned that I was going to be much better off if I just took each day as it came. And I decided that each day, good or bad, was its own self-contained unit. And if it was bad, I wouldn't extrapolate it out into the future. And if it was good, I wouldn't put extrapolate out in, that out into the future as well. So rather than have my hope in a future that I couldn't control, I just decided to take it day by day. Um, mm-hmm. And there were many days that I would get out of bed, sit up, my feet on the floor and I would tell myself, you know, Paul, I, I can't do this for another six months, but you know, I can do it today. Yeah. And, and, you know, you string enough of those days together and pretty soon you got, you got a month and you string enough more, enough uh, days together. You've got a few months and pretty soon you're, you're, you're making your way through a, a difficult time. So that is how I cope. Uh, my loved one is, uh, is in a good place now, but you, you, you never let down your guard, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because things can go sideways real quick. So I just choose to, to take it day by day by day.
0: That's a great point. And, you know, I know Paul has also, you know, channeled his, his energies, his emotions into helping families Uh, that have uh, adults with with mental illness. Uh, In 2022, Paul launched the Preparedness Project, which is his effort to help uh, those folks and families receive a financial analysis and specific planning recommendations that can be implemented with their advisor of their choice. Uh, He does not offer this for free as he believes that people value things more when they have skin in the game. Um, so the cost to participate is $50, a uh, pretty nominal fee, and the fee is uh, will be donated to the National Alliance on Mental Illness, the nation's largest grassroots mental health organization. Um, Paul, tell us a little bit what motivated you to launch the Preparedness Project.
1: Sure. Um, well, ever since my you know, experience with, with NAMI, uh, I always felt like I wanted to give back. And and uh, really, in the beginning, I did some um, grassroots advocacy work around mental health parity in the state of Georgia. But uh, in 2022, there was a, a bill passed, so, so that work was done. But uh, I have some friends here in Atlanta that have a nonprofit called Ground Zero Grace. And uh, this particular nonprofit does renovation work, repair work, car- carpentry work, for underserved individuals in in Northeast Georgia, and I have no carpentry skills. As, mm. as a matter of fact, people ask me to stay away from carpentry. <laughs> okay, <laughs> they don't even want same me, here. <laughs> they don't even want me holding the tools. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But for years, I would look at what they did. And I thought it was so cool, and I said, I wish. And for years, I said, I wish I had skills like that that I could use to help people that are in such visceral need like that. And then through some conversations with other people, what I realized is that I had some, an intersection of skills as well as life experiences that could be used really to serve an underserved segment of our society. So with some sounding board discussions with the aforementioned uh, uh, Don Patrick, as well as our um, uh, Director Advisor Development at Integrated, Andrews Brown, Uh, that came came up with the idea of the preparedness project. And so uh, essentially what I did is formalized processes around some of the pro bono work that I was already doing and then uh, launched it uh, to the broader population.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, I mean, just some statistics, excuse me, about uh, the financial impact on caregivers. Um, You know, this is not necessarily specific to, Uh, caregivers to adults with uh, mental illness, but um, caregivers in general. 78% of family caregivers have out-of-pocket costs related to caregiving, spending on average nearly 20% of their personal income. And, um, you know, the economic and professional impact of caregiving is not equally distributed. About two-thirds of male caregivers report being employed while only a little over half of all female caregivers are employed. Further, female caregivers are more likely to have hourly positions, whereas salaried caregivers are more likely to be male. These trends are especially challenging since women are more likely than men to take on caregiving roles, and regardless of caregiving status, they earn less than men on average and are likely to have less retirement savings than men women over 50 who leave the workforce to care for an aging parent are estimated to lose more than 324000 in wages and retirement savings. And, you know, although we're not talking about leaving to take care of an aging parent, uh, you know, d- definitely some stark t- statistics there about uh, the financial impact. These are from the Rosalind Carter Institute for Caregivers. Right. Um. But Paul, just can you talk a little bit about you know, what are some of the unique needs of caregivers to, uh, these families that you're working with? Sure. Um,
1: so I've identified, uh, seven dynamics that SMI caregivers face. And and certainly these are not unique to, um, to SMI caregivers, but they do represent a very uh, unique cocktail, uh, you know, as it were of the dynamics that they face. And I, I went through, Uh, these uh, seven planning challenges in an article I did last year. Um, But, uh, you know, really, these seven dynamics are compressed timelines. Uh, For instance, what I face is here I am later in my life and later in my career, and all of a sudden I have to pivot in a very Mm -hmm. short period of time. Um, Increased expenses. Uh, You know, we talk about uh, people who haven't dealt with this may think insurance covers everything, and they would be, Ah, uh, woefully, woefully um, uh, misinformed on that. Uh, the idea of multi multi-gener- multi generational planning. You know, all of a sudden, uh, SMI caregivers uh, don't just have to worry about their retirement, but also have to make sure there's enough money left over after their passing to make sure that their funds available to uh, to care. You know, for their child and also increased risk risk exposure. You know we talk about long-term care and things of that nature. Um, you know, you you're not in a situation where you can use up all of your money on your own care on you. There has to be money mm-hmm. left over and things of that nature. Uh, a huge dynamic that sometimes is not uh, thought about a lot is reduced bandwidth. And and I've I've interviewed a couple of people um, on, on a for a blog that I do who were females. Uh, women, moms, and they knew they needed to go out and and get another job or seek a promotion, but they just couldn't do it because it took too much emotional and mental elf- effort. And at the end of the day, they were just exhausted. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's a reduced bandwidth, increased estate and legal complexity. You know, you just can't leave your money to your loved one, okay? But because number one, they may make make poorer choices, but it, also if they're on... um uh needs based assistance from government programs it could easily disqualify them for that and then finally the work dynamics and reduced income which you alluded to in some statistics earlier so those are the those are the seven ways that i've identified there're probably more um but uh, those are the big ones that i see
0: yeah those are great um and uh, i mean how has this whole experience you know helped you relate to clients that are going through something similar
1: yeah yeah well what I'm hoping that the Preparedness Project can do is, is offer a combination of both empathy and compassion. And with the empathy side, I let me give you an example of that. Is A couple of weeks ago, I was having a conversation with a wonderful, wonderful lady. Her name is Michelle. Um, I've been in contact with her for probably two, two and a half years. Such a resilient, perseverant, remarkable human being. And we were having a discussion about the dynamics of caregivers who eventually um, choose to just deal with the pain by slapping a smile on their face and telling everybody they're okay. Because Mm -hmm. you just get tired of telling the same story week after week, month after month, and, and year after year. All right. Yeah. And what she said is, you know, Paul, most of us just suffer in silence. And what, what the preparedness project is all about is giving voice to these individuals and, and let them be heard. And that's the empathy part of it. You know, we don't use any whiz bang planning techniques. We don't use any planning techniques that are different, um, substantially from other techniques that are used with other situations. Um, but what we try to do is give people a voice. Uh, let people be heard and, and sit with them in their humanity and their pain while they're processing a lot of this, not just for their loved one, but what it means for themselves long term. And uh, we try to provide compassion by not just listening, but also giving some actionable items that people can do to actually improve uh, their financial situation as well as the financial situation for their loved one later on, and also this the financial situation of their advocate you know, later on, when someone actually has to take over for the parents, caring for the loved one when the parents are gone. So, hope that helps.
0: Yeah, it does, and I mean, you know, I think that this is definitely an area in financial planning that is lacking. You know, uh, financial planning specific to caregivers with, uh, to 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 folks with uh, serious mental illness, and I think uh, it's great that you're bringing awareness to it. Uh, Well, I'm afraid we're just about out of time, but I'd like to thank my guest, Paul Peeler, uh, for being on the podcast and opening up here about his life. Paul, thank you so much.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: If you'd like to reach out to Paul, you can reach him at peeler at I-N-T-F-I-N-G-R-O-U-P dot com. You can email him there or you can go to his website, planlifenow.org or preparednessproject.org to learn more information there about the Preparedness Project. If you have a struggle yourself and you wish to share your experiences and help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at diana.brittain at informa.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to The Healthy Advisor if you've not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This is Diana Britton reminding you that where there's healing, there is hope. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to The Healthy Advisor, a podcast focused on advisor's personal well-being and healing. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your particular situation.